0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's your true faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle United once again beaten by three goals at home, just like we were against Brighton. Uh, and if possible, in an even more horrific fashion, four-one was the final score, and you've got Alex Hurst, you've got Norman Riley, and you've got Ben Wade to talk through the grisly details, and probably more than just the grisly details—the the bigger picture and why this—I think this is possibly the end. It, it's certainly the end of my support of Steve Bruce. I think he has to go. I'm um, going to get into that. A lot of fans will disagree and that's entirely fine. We can have those discussions. Norman, I'm going to start the show with you. Steve Bruce, uh, after the game, spoke to both the national press, the local press and um, rip-off pay-per-view television press and uh, said that basically he thought, we well, were unlucky, the scoreline didn't reflect the game. Uh, the only issue was we were a little bit naive at the end. How do you assess his analysis and why?
2: Well, I'll just start off by saying straight away, I thought you were lucky to only lose 4-1. It could have been a lot worse. It was an absolute massacre. I I genuinely have no idea where those comments come from. I suppose the only thing I can say, right, look, I'm I'm a 43-year-old fan. I've never been involved in the professional side of the game. Um, Ultimately, I clearly know nothing because I watched that game yesterday and, and thought it was an absolute horror show from... What like 30, Within 30 seconds of us taking the lead, we were utterly abysmal. And for Bruce to come out and say that, and then for me to see a match report on the BBC, which has one of the bylines, Magpies impress despite defeat. <laughs> um, and for the Telegraph, one of the bylines in the Telegraph, to say um, Mag- uh, both sides played their part in a thrilling contest. I watched that game... Both sides played their part. We played our part, as far as I can see, because we were actually on the pitch. So, you know, you are part of the game, aren't you, I guess? Um, but the headline, sorry, the barline suggests that it was a, a fairly even game and a thrilling contest. For a start, I don't think it was thrilling. It was, it was a training ground exercise and incredibly uncomfortable to watch for me as a fan of Newcastle. Um, I fail to see where we impressed in that game, despite what the BBC have said. And obviously, Steve Bruce's comments after the game, um, saying that, you know, the defeat doesn't look as bad as it was. I can't see any justification for any of those headlines or for what Steve Bruce has said. So I'm just going to say that I clearly know absolutely nothing about what to expect from football. I've I've been watching it since I was, what, eight years old. So that's that's quite a while. Um, And I clearly have never learned anything because what I I think is a a decent performance or what I think is a, a thrilling game or what I think is an impressive performance clearly doesn't match up with what the experts say. So I think I'm probably... Just going to retire after this podcast from from comment again,
3: mate. It's just I want to just echo. I think you are wrong, Norman, because uh, Ollie Solskjaer saw the game exactly how you did. So um, that that can't be right, surely. Well, he, he he thought they dominated the game and and they 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 played brilliantly and uh, and it could have won by more. Um, I mean, Ollie sorshire has been living in a fantasy world this year, I think. So uh, I, I think and as I say, it's, he he seems to have seen it the way yeah, Norman did. So. Something's not adding up here. Either either Bruce or Sasha is telling lies here. So, and 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 I'm more inclined to go with uh, with Steve, who's uh, been in the game a lot, lot longer.
1: Yeah, I find his comments genuinely genuinely offensive, and we've talked on the podcast before about the the danger of potentially reading too much into what he says um, compared to what actually happens on the pitch. I think there's no way he makes those comments if 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 the the team have been hounded off the pitch by by fifty two thousand. Um, I think the there are a number of wider issues at 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 stake here and we're gonna get into them, but but I wanna be clear to everyone listening. The main problem with what we saw last night is that it will happen again. That performance that you saw last night, it will happen again this season. And that's the issue. You know, I've wrote the True Faith match report this morning and I've done I've done my research and I looked at, you know, I try I looked at a number of games. This calendar year, so I'm not even going that far back, this calendar year where we um, had basically gone into a game, decided to give the opposition all of the ball as much as they wanted, pretty much, um, and as much territorial dominance as they wanted. So, if you want to play the game in, a, in our final third, that's all right as well. Um, and in eight games this year um, that, I, that I handpicked, would conceded 180, 186 shots in those games. So this isn't this isn't like a bad day at the office. This isn't like some sort of one off catastrophe that you can pin on an individual error or a red card this is how, and I mean this sincerely unless someone wants to get in touch and tell me I'm looking at it wrong this is, last night is how Steve Bruce planned that game to go, what you saw last night, what you saw against Spurs what you saw against Brighton, what we saw against Newport, what we saw against Blackburn what we saw against Liverpool at the end of last season what we saw against Manchester City, Crystal Palace, Norwich, Arsenal Chelsea, Everton all last season, we approached these games in an identical fashion, which is which is like I, I'm, you know, obsessed about. You know, I watched the match with with Sai last night, and it was like, what What is the plan here? You know, what is the plan? What are, What are we trying to do? Because we don't play counter attack. We don't. How many counter attacks do we have last night? Like, you know, would. During the game, we, we don't, we don't, we do. We do not play counter attack. We conceded three goals in the counter attack. How is that possible? How is it possible when you're trying to play counter attack football that you concede three goals and many more opportunities on the counter attack? You know, I cannot stress enough that there, there is no plan beyond Bruce picking a team, picking a formation, and from that point on, in my opinion, it is on the players to work it out. And and nothing symbolizes that more. Then go and one nil up in the farcical manner that we did. It was hilarious. It was fantastic. What an opportunity that was to press on. Let's let's be clear. Let's remember. These are some some key points I want to ram home. Manchester United this season, before yesterday, had the worst defensive record in the Premier League. In their last game, they conceded six goals. Six. They could have conceded ten. They conceded six. Against Brighton this season, they conceded two goals. Brighton broke the record for the most number of times a team hit the crossbar of the post in a game and that they scored a goal after full-time, which is also ridiculous, but never mind that. They played Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace finished below us in the league last season, I think, um, and Crystal Palace beat them 3-1, could have scored many more. You know, they, they, for Steve Bruce to come out and say they can do that, they're a quality side, they're not a quality side. They are not a quality side. They had a good end of last season. They've got some very good players, Lots of teams will do very well against that Manchester United side this, this season. And we have gone into that game. He's picked a, a mental 4-1, 4-1. Um, like I've said in the match report, Luke Shaw's gone to bed on Friday night, pro- probably unable to sleep thinking about, is he going to put some Maximan on my side? Is he going to play Alm- Almiron? Will Ryan Fraser get a, you know, get a run out against me? How am I going to deal with this? The fans think I need to drop. There's a new lad come in to play left-back. Who does he line up against? Who, who, is, who is Luke Shaw's man for the night? Joe Linton. Joe Linton. Like, I just can't, I can't fathom it, Norman.
2: I'm slightly concerned, going back to the comments, the post-match comments, right? Like, everything you've said there, bang on. Now, you look at the post-match comments, I thought, uh, what was it he says, sorry? He says, um, let, me qu- let me quote it exactly. This is about Man U. They will not have enjoyed what happened last week. Well, yes, they got beat 6-1. <laughs> we found it very difficult. There's no disputing that. They will do that to teams if you leave them space. They have lightning pace at the top of the pitch, right? So if you leave them space, they will have lightning pace at the top of the pitch. So, so why do we leave them space then? Who, who does that come down to? Like who 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 is being blamed for that? There, like so. On one hand, you know it wasn't a bad performance, but on the other hand, if you leave them space, they'll destroy you. So who who is it up to to ensure that we didn't leave man new space? Is it the players or is it the manager? I can't I can't work it out. So I'm 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 just baffled. But I'm baffled by the kind of post match comments. And again, I think I saw another comment. Um, Newcastle scoring too early um, was maybe like the wrong thing. It's like, how, is it right? Is the is the purpose of a football match not to win it? Right? And in order to win it, you need to score goals. So so how can a team take the lead at the wrong point in a match? How does that how, is that is that like a thing? Is it possible? To take the lead at the wrong point in the match, I, I can't, I can't understand. So again, I'm going to go back to I clearly know nothing about about football because everything I seem to think, everything I saw yesterday has been, you know, it's kind of been washed away. Like no, no, we scored, yeah, we took the lead, but we, we took the lead too early. That that's probably why we lost because we took the lead too early. Um, you can't leave them space because they will destroy you. And then me asking, well, why did we leave them space? But we did, and there's no answer to that. So I'm I'm just thoroughly confused, mate. I, I truly am.
1: It's also. You know, I mean, to go back to the point you've made there about scoring too early. I think it was it was well, I know it was it was Keith Downey on on Twitter from Sky Sports, and I, like, I think the point he's trying to make, and the point others are trying to make, is that we are they assume we had a game plan to sit tight, make it difficult for the opposition, reduce the number of chances that you concede in your penalty area or just outside of your penalty area, and then you can concentrate on. Trying to hit them on the counter attack, getting up the pitch later in the game as the game gets a bit more stretched, uh, that makes sense to me. I disagree fundamentally that there was ever a bad time to take the lead, but but ultimately, um, there is a, a you know the, the assumption there that that we have that plan is is false. You know, like like I say, let's go back to Spurs away. Let's go back to Man City away. Manchester, Manchester City at home, um, post project restart last season, um, like. Tell me what you or any of these people, what have you seen from Newcastle United that suggests that we have any kind of tactical plan in these games beyond just letting the opposition have lots of shots on goal and hoping your goalkeeper, like I said last night on Twitter, like when your goalkeeper plays class and you concede four, it's the kind of thing like I remember growing up, like watching in FA Cup games, you know, when the keeper plays really well and they still get hammered. But, you know, to be fair, it's, it's not his full-time job and the Premier League team should win. This this is becoming a regular occurrence. Me and Norman are fair. We just talked about, like, you, you can you can think of all the games last season where you're like, Jesus Christ, Dubravka pulled us out the shit there. You've got a game last night where Carl Darlow, who we'll talk about later in terms of his injury, if he doesn't do what he does last night and saves a penalty – um, I mean, he made it, there was the, the, the part where he got injured, the save against Rashford there. would have counted, by the way, because Rashford wasn't offside. It was a brilliant save. Um, but if he doesn't make those saves and if he doesn't make some of the interceptions that he does, Newcastle get beat 6 or 7-1 at home. And, but the man, and the manager's all right with that. And it's like, the, the, there's no process here. There's no learning curve. There's no, right, this is what we took from this fixture and we'll take this into the next fixture. It will be same again. And I'm sick of recording podcasts. And thinking about and watching this this side of his play, when when nothing ever gets better, there, there is no, there is no hope of the next time we play Manchester United at home, or the next time we play Man City away. There is no hope of doing anything else than just conceding like up to thirty shots in a game. Like we we behave like a League Two side going to Old Trafford. If a League Two side had gone to Old Trafford against that Man United team like how could they have possibly done how could how can you allow more than twenty eight shots on your goal in a game it's like it's almost there isn't time in the game to allow more than twenty eight shots in a game yet would we'll do it consistently Ben
3: it is it's crazy it's it's almost as if Bruce needs like a few absolute hidings like as you say like seven ones eight ones which which have been feasible and as you say we we could have quite easily had that already a couple of times a season it hasn't happened yet, and I suppose that, that it's still, I mean, we've been beaten four-one, conceding three goals in the last. Well, in there was four minutes. It was eighty-six, I think, when the the second one goes in. Mm-hmm. We've we've managed to concede three goals in, in a short amount of time, and he's kind of brushing over that, saying all oh, that it was as if that was just bad luck. But we, this this could have happened and could have been a lot worse. And it's almost as if we we need these like seven-one hammerings for it to drill home. That no, this isn't bad luck, Steve. Like this is how how it's turning out, and. In in a normal and it's one of those things where people say, "Oh well, you, you don't expect to score every goal at this level, like every shot at this level and stuff like that." But as you say, when when you're getting twenty plus shots a game, I mean, if if, if you don't score like one in three, you've you've got to be asking questions. And it's like it, it, it's almost as if it's going to take like a number of hammerings for 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 it to sink in with Bruce that actually this this isn't going to work. And that's that's the most terrifying thing is is that it like what what is he he's, he's clearly not watching the games and and the stuff that he's coming out with is absolutely mental that he thinks this is an acceptable way to play um it's just it it is like i i, I literally do not understand what what he's saying that um that is given any sort of encouragement and that just just i mean you talked briefly you talked about the um the formation there like so so we went for that four one four one he's basically the, dropping Hayden into that sort of holding. Holding midfield role, and we mentioned it last night when we were talking during the game. It's he's, he's, it's almost as if he's he's like he's trying to play five at the back, but didn't want to play five at the back because of he probably thinks, oh, you'll get hammered for playing five at the back again. But basically, played Hayden in such a deep role, and he was dropping into that back three that it ultimately worked out like that. And it's just he, he just doesn't he doesn't really have a clue. But it's it's almost as if like now he's he's kind of <laughs> like picking his team to to sort of. Placate the some of the criticism he's had as well. It's just a bizarre like um, series of events and sort of the way he seems to be reacting to things. So the, the other thing is that that Man U team. So you, you're talking about obviously people are giving Man U a lot of respect. Like this isn't the Man this isn't Manchester United as we have known it during our lifetime. As you say, this is a team that's been getting just been hit gotten probably one of the biggest hiders they've had for a while, um, and could have had others. You've already seen a team like Palace go to Old Trafford, like it wasn't it, it wasn't it Selhurst Park, it was at Old Trafford, um, and and they they were well worth that win, and and could it again in that game could have probably probably got more. And you, you look, any other manager in the league, I think, looks at that game and 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 analyzes that and says, right, there's a blueprint there. What Palace did, that is the way to, to deal with this Man new team. Yes, they have got some great players, Bruno and um, Fernandez is, is quality. I didn't think he had his best game yesterday, but it, but he, he he has the ability to hurt you. First but, goal of Hatrick. Yeah, but that that's the thing. Like I don't think he even played that well. And as you say, um, could could have had a a, a a fair few. But you look at that um, Palace team, and and to be honest, in terms of man for man, we've got quite similar players to, to they've got. Um, we we could have um, deployed a similar tactic and, and played that same way, and and yet yeah, ours just looked so far away from that. Um, it's embarrassing.
2: I no. It ties back into the, the kind of the logic behind, you know, the the comment of maybe we scored too early, which which I do get what you said there, like I absolutely understand that. But as you said as well, it's it's not like we set out pre match to to play like oh keep it tight, lads, when we hit them towards the end. And if that was the case, you have to ask yourself, well, why? This is a team who conceded six goals at home to Tottenham, three goals at home to Air Palace, two goals away at Brighton. We're, we're the home team. We're the ones who won our last match. You know, why would we be set up to play like that against a team that is in utter disarray and a team who, against Spurs, if you look at how they defended against Spurs, you look at the goals Spurs scored, they were absolutely shambolic. And all we needed really was to, in my opinion, just to attack them. They were panicking. We we go 1 0 up against Man United. For me, that was a perfect 1 0 up so early on. That was a perfect opportunity to just attack them again, hit them again, because this is a side that is in absolute disarray. And we didn't do that. So, yes. I understand the logic of playing a, a tight game and trying to strike clear. You know, we do, we've done it in the past. You think about Man City at home, we beat them 2-1. I guess to a certain extent, you think, well, Chelsea last season beat them 1-0, although that was, that, that was farcical in many ways. But against this Man United team, why? Why would that be the tactic? If that was a tactic, you have to ask yourself, well, why would it be the tactic? Because this isn't a brilliant side that we're playing. This is a side that we, on our day, with the right players in the side, and we have got the right players, could have seriously damaged because they aren't a good side yet. We afforded them the respect that you would afford, like the champions of Europe. It was, yeah, it was. To be honest, it, as a fan, it's it's actually quite painful to see like such a, a meek kind of surrender to an opposition, almost like, oh my god, you're so good, like, oh, there's nothing we can do to beat you. It was, it was,
3: it was shocking. It, it's a team as well that is massively lacking in confidence. You you look at Luke Luke Shaw's basically just been replaced in this transfer window. Um, with the lad that they've they've basically waited till the last day of the transfer deadline to do, so they were that desperate that they they forced a the deal through. That they were obviously haggling around and probably didn't like the the business side of it, but the the hand has been forced because of his performances. So he's he's under pressure. He's had a bad start the season. He's he's low on confidence. You've got Lindelof who's been dropped recently, who's has had to come back in because of other injuries and things like that. You've got a keeper in De Gea who. Has been world class for a number of years, and in the last couple of years, he's completely dropped off the boil, making loads of mistakes. Like this, this, this is a Manchester United team that plays under a massive weight of expectation as well. People expect them to be able to, to dominate games like they did last night, but but aren't normally able to, and have massive frailties. And they're they're like <laughs> really really low on confidence. They're they're fragile. Um, you you saw that against Spurs, and I know Spurs are, Spurs are a, a better side than we are. Obviously, we, we saw. The, the game with us and and Spurs obviously put six past them, um, but I'm not expecting us to have necessarily won six one, but like there's there's opportunities there if, if you apply apply your um game plan properly and and sort of set up a team plan properly that there, there's opportunities there to, to get at this team even Juan bissaka I mean Juan bissaka scores a, a world at the end of the game I don't really remember him being put under too much pressure he, he he's another one that was a big price tag, has a lot of pressure on him, hasn't had a great start to the the season. And then obviously the big ones, Maguire, Maguire's had a terrible game for for Man U, then he's gone away in National Duty, had a stinker for them, been sent off after 30 minutes, we've lost to Denmark. Like, and he's come back in and, and and been forced to play again. Like, how am I, lads? Some, like, just, that, that's, that's literally the, the perfect game you'd want to play against Harry Maguire. He's had such a stinker. like, Get into him, like put him, put him under pressure, like test him out. Like he's he's got all sorts going on, and we've literally like given him the the most comfortable game of his his career. And that it, I just I I don't understand how Steve Bruce and and it's not necessarily even just Bruce. He's met the whole team around him. Like how have, how have none of them like, identified that as as well. This this match is a massive massive opportunity. And as you say, we're, we're, we're saying as if scoring that, that early goal was a bad thing. That should have been the thing to kick on. Like, we, we got gifted a goal from absolutely nowhere with the most fragile um, of confidence team in Manchester United that they've probably had in a long time. And, and we're, they're 1-0 down after two minutes. Like, it wouldn't have taken a lot to really put the pressure on them. And we've, we've done completely the opposite. We've then allowed them to get back into the game. And even then, it's taken them to the 85th minute. to to start getting these chances but like we, I just I don't I can't see I mean I can obviously see because I sort of watched the match but from Bruce's standpoint I don't understand what he's how how even at half time he hasn't said how our lads we're still we're still in this like we we can get up something out of this if, if we start doing these things. But none of that has happened. There's been no adjustments during the game. There's been nothing to to change the way that game is going. And as you say it's just a massive, massive opportunity. And, and people are saying, oh, it was it was a terrible time to score. Bollocks like that was literally the perfect time to score. Like you could have mm-hmm. put Manu under real, real pressure there and we've completely left them left them off the hook.
1: There's a few things I want to get into there and and, and, and you know, I'll say it again. Once again, just like the Liverpool game at the end of last season, Bruce in my opinion, has been exposed by that goal, because, like you say, Ben, it, if indeed the plan was to to sit tight for straight and play counter attack, which I've seen no evidence that's the plan, but I'm going to assume that like there, there must be some sort of like um, desire to do that. Um, then, then, like you say, you, you change. But I go back to when we played Norwich at home last season, and you know Norwich came to our place, uh, and we. I think they were pretty much relegated and we were still playing five at the back at the time. And I I was with Adam at the game and we we both noted that the first five or ten minutes of that Norwich game was a dream for them. No pressing, no pressure. Take as many touches as you want. You want touches in the final third? Have them. You you want to run 20 yards with the ball as a centre-back? Yep. Everything that we do facilitates the other team. We are a dream to play against. And Ben, it was the same last night after that goal. You're spot on. The whole, you know, I mean, I'd say the world was watching. Uh, yeah, the world was. The United Kingdom wasn't because of the unbelievable cost, but <laughs> like, everyone's what? Everyone's watching that game. Every United fans like, like, here we we'll go again. Shit, like disaster. But it's like Bruce Sinners Newcastle United side. Like, don't worry, lads. Don't worry. We'll we'll let easier ourselves into this one. Have the ball. Have it. Have a shot. Go on. Cross it. Do you? Know what I mean, it's just. It's just. We we are a. a absolute treasure and a delight for, for opposing teams, particularly big teams, because it's one thing, you know, you know, when, when teams go away from home and, and teams make it hard for them, they still might win games. And I don't think there's a tremendous shame in losing to Manchester United at home. Norman, I've seen us lose plenty of times to teams worse than Manchester United last night. However, like you, everything that you said, Ben, about the type of team we're facing, the kind of problems that this Manchester United team have, we played them last night like the, the, the European champions. We played them last night in a way that was so deferential. And when I'm saying the same fucking things every week, so deferential that it's almost like we're just happy to be there. We're happy to be on the same pitch as them. The 16th in the league before last night, for fuck's sake. 16th. It was a free hit. We had seven points from four games. League Cup semi-final on the horizon If for beat Brentford. If you were ever as a manager... Going to try and grab a game and, and, and make a difference and, and, and create something special. It was last night. And for it to go in the manner that it did, for it to peter out and for, for it to be such a humiliating bit of one way traffic for the majority of the game, despite the fact that it was miraculously 1 1 for so long of it, you know, it just, that's why I just feel that this is not going to change. There isn't some better version of Steve Bruce. There isn't some. Moment down the line in his managerial career, where he takes it to the next level. Like this is him, this is his side. There isn't some training session around the corner. There isn't some signing which makes it all click together. This is this is this is the best it's going to get under him. Let's go back to Sunderland in twenty eleven. What did the Sunderland fans say? He had good players. He did not know how to use them. He consistently picked players in the wrong positions for for, for no reason. What did Aston Villa players say? Good team best best, best team in the history of the championship in terms of financial cost and wage bill. Didn't know how to use the players. He, the, Bruce has things which are beneficial to him as a manager. He is a good man manager. He is liked by the players. He manages on the whole to keep players who aren't in the team engaged. It's not enough in in the fucking best league in the world, in the, in the league that Georges fans in its own country, £15 pounds a game to watch the match in the middle of a pan- pandemic. It's just not good enough. And it's okay because we are used to so much shit as Newcastle fans have just not good enough, but Jesus Christ like, for it, for it to be this bad, for it to be this unappealing, for it to be this hard to watch, and then the manager to come out after the game, just like he did in several of those fixtures I've alluded to already in this podcast and say, well that was alright, bit unlucky there, scoreline wasn't, like the bloke is an absolute bullshitter, he talks complete nonsense, and there's only one or two journalists in the northeast willing to call him out, and will we'll beat Burnley and I'm as guilty of it as anybody we will win more games this season. We will win more games. We will beat West Brom at home. We might get a result, I don't know, at someone else shite Fulham away or something. That's last day of that. But, you know, we it, this is not... Newcastle, Newcastle United aren't necessarily going to finish bottom of this league. They might not even get relegated. But I challenge anyone listening out there to tell me that there is some positive version of this football club under this manager. And as much as we all want the club to be sold, and as much as we despise the owner, who, who seems as desperate as we are... To end his relationship with this football club, the 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 resources that this manager has are, are are ample. And Ben, like you say, there to pick to pick Joe to to think Luke Shaw struggling defensively, struggling. I think Joe Linton on the on on the wrong side. Like after Joe Linton against Burnley, put in the, the, maybe the first six and a half out of ten performance in his whole Newcastle career, his best performance so far everyone, Shearer's been talking about it for The Athletic, everyone's saying, behind the striker, he looks a lot more at ease, Callum Wilson in front of him, he looks much better, he can influence the game in a positive manner. To play him on the fucking right of midfield, when you've got um, Fraser on the bench, when you've got Almiron on the bench, fucking Christian Atsu would be a better option on the right of midfield than than Joe Linton. I've, I've, I've never seen anything like it, Norman, and I, I, you're, I know you're not happy with this particular point as well. 100%. The... Truth is, yesterday, Dua Linton, and, and the, thing I do, look, the thing
2: is, you do want to criticise him as an individual. Look, I, I think it's quite obvious that he's not a particularly talented enough player to make in the Premier League, but let's part that for a second, right? The manager has picked him and put him in a position where he's probably never played in his life and he never should play. He's not a right midfielder and I would be surprised if he touched the ball more than 10 times. I haven't seen the statistics. I tried to look for them um, and I couldn't find them, but it, he was his impact on the game was it was actually what I would say like it was like a negative impact. I.e., having him on the pitch in that position, it didn't. It wasn't like it wasn't neutral. It wasn't like a neutral position. It wasn't like oh well, he's not doing anything, but that's all right. You know, he's not doing any harm. It was actually harmful because what it did was it just allowed it allowed Manuel you know, all that space. Like as, as Ben said, I can't believe that Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw looked far, apart from the uh, the howler for the uh, for the first two of them going this in the second minute. And again, my God, that should have shattered his confidence into pieces. But he was allowed. Pretty much on the third minute onwards to build up that confidence again because he had like he had he just had the free the complete freedom of that uh, of our right hand side of the pitcher. I, I don't get it. I, I don't get why Ryan Fraser, who went out and played for Scotland midweek, scored a goal, got man the match, is clearly fit enough to play now, fit enough to start games. I don't know why he wasn't started in a position that he can play in against a team that if you attack them would have crumbled. I cannot get my head around that and. I would love, like, I would genuinely love a journalist to ask him that off a booster just come out and explain and say, look, this is my logic behind playing Joel on the right hand side. But the thing is, and it, like, look, what right have we got to know things? I mean, what, do we have a right to know why decisions are made by managers? I guess I guess we don't, right? But at the same time, wouldn't it be nice or wouldn't it be a brave thing to do to actually come out and say, this is why I played Julian on the right hand side? Now, are there? I mean, are there any Newcastle fans? Do you think there'll be any Newcastle fans who think it was a good idea to put Joe Linton on the right hand side in midfield? I, I would be surprised if there were. And therefore, wouldn't it just be a good way of connecting with the fans to come out and say, "I picked him on the right hand side because of this"? I, 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 because I cannot come up with one single reason as to why that decision was made. I can't. There is literally nothing okay. He played all right against Burnley, but the fact that he played against all right against Burnley doesn't necessarily mean that's vindication for keeping him in the side against a completely different team and then playing him in a totally different position, does it?
3: The, the, to be honest, the, the only reason I can think is that Bruce noted that, that Shaw has had such a catastrophe. He probably thought if there's one player in this league that might look Joe Linton, look up to this level, it's potentially Luke Shaw. But then they didn't even give him the ball to do, to do anything.
1: They gave him the ball a couple of times, mate, and he just gives he it lost away. it. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what
3: I mean, isn't it? it? wasn't wasn't particularly in any positions where he could do anything with it. It's just, it's just you. You look at that and just think. I mean, I I don't know. It's just it's just a disgrace, isn't
2: it? Just quickly, I will tell you how easy it was for Manu yesterday after we scored. Basically, it was right. You know, as I was sitting back every time the break. If we just put three players around Maximan, which was what Chelsea did every time Maximan had the ball, that had three. He had at least three players around him, and we had nothing after that. Yes, we created one chance. I think we. Wilson, um, Maximan managed to get away, put a brilliant cross in and Wilson studded it and uh, it was a great save by the here. But that was literally it. Now, it, it was pretty much our whole way of being set up yesterday was to just give Maximan the ball when we could and what happens... We give Maximan the, the ball. He's got three players around him. He's trying to take out three players, and that was it. That's that's how
3: easy it was for Man United yesterday. Uh, just on that, Norman, that it, it, like that—that's okay if you're giving him the ball in the, the final third all the time. Uh, exactly. He's, yeah. literally, he's literally dribbling it out from Darlo and and haven't have to uh, beat four or five players. And to be fair to him, uh, he, like I mean, he's some he's some uh, dribbler of the ball. Like his feet are tight. Footwork at times is brilliant, mm-hmm. but it's completely wasted when you're you're 70 yards from goal. Like and and eventually they just kick him and foul him and it it's it, the ref doesn't do anything 'cause cause why would they? It's 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 not really a threat or anything, it's not really a dangerous situation. But he's wasting so much energy at the wrong end of the pitch. And again, like that's that that is the point, is is why 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 isn't Bruce telling him just stay forward, we'll get the ball to you, just stay forward and hurt them where they can hurt them. Don't drop deep and come and get frustrated and, and get the ball. And it's because he wasn't obviously getting any any quality sort of possession at the wrong end. I mean I, I texted at one point where there was a possession, there was a, a passenger play where we had a chance to break and Chevy and Hendrick both play two awful balls and and he basically has to then cut back and, and ends up putting Lewis in. But then Lewis has, has got one man aim for, aim for on the box. And you just think if, if if we could have just played a, like a bit of quality to get maximum one on one against um it would have been one one Sacko on that side like it could have absolutely terrorized him i mean he's he's been beating five players for fun most of the game put him one on one he, he he's going to cause them problems and we just we just didn't ever get him in a position to hurt Manu and that's the most frustrating thing is that it it doesn't take a lot it shouldn't take a lot and we couldn't do it
1: there, there were a couple of of moments in this game which uh... I had to, when I woke up this morning, had to kind of just check that it actually actually happened. <laughs> um, one of them is uh, the substitution of Isaac Hayden, who told Steve Bruce and his team at halftime his, he thought he'd done his hamstring, and he was sent back out, um, which has happened before, and he went off injured. Now, I said at halftime during the game yesterday, um, in, it's not working. All the things we're saying now, it was 1 1. And, you know, I said, We are going to lose this game. It's it, this is not working. The formation isn't working. The lack of pressure, the lack of press, and all of it's not working. I assumed that there would be a change at half time, and there wasn't. And then when Hayden goes off, Norman, I, th- I, want, I want you to take this one because I'm pretty sure it was the Man United away game and Watford away, sorry, Man City and Watford away last year when Shaw was tried in defensive midfield in both games, and you were a vocal about how much of a disaster the, that experiment was. C- could you b- quite believe what you were seeing yesterday when Isaac Hayden went off and he brought Fabian Shaw in the midfield to replace him?
2: Absolutely not. I think when I saw Hayden hobbling at the point of going off, I thought it's terrible because Hayden's obviously a very important player at the club, but at the same time in this match where we are struggling to, to create anything and we're under this intense pressure that's of our own doing because we're incapable of attacking. I thought, well... The obvious thing, yeah, is to, is to pull Henrik into centre midfield and bring on um, either Fraser or Almiron and make us a bit more of an attacking threat. But then to bring on a centre-half who cannot play as a central defensive midfielder. Sure, as we know, right? Now, look, when we first signed Shaw and I saw him on the ball, I, I actually thought to myself, oh, he has a player who could possibly play in midfield because of how comfortable he is on the ball. But what you soon realise is that actually he needs to see the whole pitch ahead of him. You can't you, you can't you can't, play in that. He just cannot play in that position. It was quite obvious after the first time he played there. But it's a position that he's been played in again and again. And it's always been an absolute, again, a waste of having a player on the pitch. And when he did it, I, I just I genuinely thought, like, again, much like putting Julian on the right-hand side, what's the logic? Like, what is the logic? I would love, I would genuinely, genuinely love, right, because as I'm going to say it again for the third time, I, I know not I'm not. I've never been involved in the game in any professional capacity. I'm not a coach. All I do, all I do is is observe and what I say as a fan. So I would love to hear. I would love to hear the logic of, of bringing on Fabian Shea in a game where you need an attacking outlet, bringing him on for a defensive midfielder, putting him in defensive midfield despite the fact that he's not a defensive midfielder, and you've got evidence of that because when he's played, there he's been terrible. What's the logic? Just, just. To, I would like to know what the logic is, and then if if the logic is kind of reasonable, I'll. I'll never complain about it again. Um, but uh, honestly, lads, can can either of you help me? uh, uh I, I can't.
3: <laughs> um, I, I mean, the, th- the thing we'll show is that you, you're right. There's there's aspects there that he should he, he should be able to play in midfield. He's, he's a good enough footballer. The problem with him is he wants too much time on the ball, mm-hmm. and at this level, you don't don't get time. There was a, there was a, um, a moment in the match where I think it I think it was Pogba nicks the ball off yeah. Pogba, carries it about ten yards ahead of him. And he's still got the ball, and it's like, come on, mate! Like, give, give the ball! Like, get, like, this is a great opportunity to counter again. And he's still got got the ball, and I think Pogba gets back and nicks the ball off him, and, and they they go on to another attack. And you just think that 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 there right there is is exactly why Shaw um, hasn't. Hasn't ever been tried as a centre mid because he wants too much time on the ball. I mean, we've seen him, we've seen him score some unbelievable goals in Newcastle where he'll get the ball centre back and and he's he's literally driven like he's been given space to run in, run into and, and he kind of gets his head down and, and just goes and, and he's good at carrying the ball. But again, there it's it's where he's he's not got that pressure of anyone chasing him from behind or anything. He's he's been able to survey the pitch as you say. He can see the whole picture. You said Alex, and and he goes and, and attacks. and Knows what he wants to do when it, when he's in that position where he's. He doesn't know what's coming behind him, and he, and he wants time to play the, the ball. He hasn't got it in midfield, so it just doesn't work. The other thing is, is he, he came on to replace Hayden, who, as you as you say, is, is an important player, or normally is an important player in this Newcastle side because he's one of the best athletes we've got on the team. He's one of the most energetic. Um, he does. He, he literally does the running for two people most games, um, and yet you've completely nullified his biggest strength by playing him. Deeper than John Joshelvy and Hendrick. Um the fact that he's he basically was asked to sit in front of the back four and just marshal that that space. Where I'm assuming that the plan was they were worried um, Fernandez was going to drop into that and and rule, rule the game from there. Well, the reality is is he didn't need to 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 to, um, to 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 get control of the game. He didn't need to do it, and you've you've wasted basically Hayden patrolling that little spot where he didn't really need to. they weren't really attacking in that that hole. But then what that meant was that you haven't got Hayden's energy to push to press. And and you said I think it I can't remember who I think it was you Alex said last night at a couple of points where there was times where there was one man was going and pressing. I think you said it was Chevy and Chevy in one instance was the only one that pressed and nobody else went with him. And then I think Hendrick possibly did it and again he was the only man to go. Like Isaac Hayden is the man that normally goes with them. How many times have we seen it in the past? I mean, the, the the biggest one was the the city game we won a couple of years ago when Longstaff and Hayden played together. You had Longstaff and Hayden literally pushing up into their box together as a tandem, and I think that's how we got the penalty um, at that, that that point in that game that we win two one. Like Isaac Hayden is knows his game; like he is capable of of being very effective. And that's why he became a mainstay of Rafa's teams because he's he reads the game quite well, but you've completely nullified all of his strengths by asking him to play that discipline role where he, he kind use his athleticism and, and then as as I say, when when he goes off and you lose that athleticism um and bring Shaw in who isn't comfortable in that position, and as you say, just like he's he's it, it's it's he's showing that it hasn't worked. Like why why are you still trying to force that issue like and especially in the way the game was going, why would you bring someone on to allow it to carry on the way it was? Like, surely that... Okay, I'm sure that wasn't wasn't going to be the, one of the planned substitutions. They didn't want to make that substitution. But once you've got to make it, do you know what? Like, you've got a bit Look, You've got an opportunity to potentially try and, and get back into the game and, and make, like, force a change. It's been forced on you, so don't take too much credit. But if you make the right decision there and bring on the right player, that could have turned the tide, that could have changed something... But at least try something different. Like it's insanity not 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 uh, not to to put somebody on to go back in and basically repeat what has been happening all game when we've been getting smashed.
2: Everything you said, they've been I completely agree. And you know what's really sad about it is as well is that this was like in the 49th minute the substitution happened. It was like we brought on a centre half and playing in midfield for uh, an Athletic midfielder in the 49th minute. That was that was basically us. Showing our ambition, our ambition was to get a point out of that game. Our ambition that game yeah. was was highlighting the 49th minute by bringing on a centre half for an athletic centre midfielder, and basically saying, "Yeah, we're going to shut up shop now against a team that that's confidence was absolutely non-existent before the match." And that's that's indicative of, of how of how we were set up but before the kickoff. If you t- if you look at it like that, we were set up to avoid defeat as opposed to go for a win.
3: It it just that that that's of him trying to squeeze five in at the back again. And I don't know why he keeps he keeps trying it. Yeah, Ben. However, Ben,
1: if we didn't play five at the back, would be shit and get hammered all the time. And, continue and like, as a it's, it's, man it's it's have it's, to play like this.
3: It's the only way the players know how to play, Alex. Unfortunately, since since I've been here, they don't know any other way. And I've I've tried I've tried my best, but I just kind of get them to drop this five at the back, even though that, we've barely played it many times.
1: That does uh, that does bring me to the final point, and that's back to the start of the show. What Bruce says and he talks about you know this is a... I forget the exact word but it was like this is a this is a process you know this is a journey and it, and it's this is all in his own head you know the, like we said before he inherited a team he inherited a team which had the eighth best defensive record uh, in the league didn't score enough goals but had the eighth best defensive record now he says he's trying to make us more attacking and what has to happen is Um, essentially, we have to get much, much, much worse defensively. We have to start losing lots of games by three and four goals, but we didn't before, and and we will become more attacking, and it's going to take time. That is absolute nonsense. It is horseshit. (laughs) We spent £100 million plus, had an £80 million strike force on the pitch last night, and we are worse. We are getting worse. The Caldaro thing, um, but I haven't fit it in, but there was I mentioned before there were two things which I just was in disbelief at last. Well, three apart from starting Joe Litton on the right of midfield. But you had that, you had the Hayden sub, and then there was a point in the second half when, on two occasions <laughs> from goal kicks, we played the ball short. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, to yeah. Start playing out in the back, and I was just like, what the fuck? like, Like, this is not the time. To start something new, I was like, "How has this possibly happened?" Now, obviously, we lost the ball both times, and Manchester United nearly scored at least one of them. And then I realized it's because Carl Darlow can't kick the ball, and it's like, "Oh yeah," like just another layer of of things you just don't really see in in like other other teams playing football, and however long you've been watching football or playing football or whatever, I've just never seen in the Premier League anyway. A manager like hobbling around, grimacing. For like ten, fifteen minutes to the to the extent where he cannot kick the ball, and 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 just cracking on. And as a team, and as a as a squad, and as a football club, just being like, yeah, fine, this is fine, this is absolutely <laughs> fine. And I, I read today in the Chronicle that Carl Darlow has told the fitness team that he might be back for Wolves. It's like, it, it, is that how it works? <laughs> uh, to like, be their own, right? Just, yeah, tell him the severity of his injury and how long he will be out for. I I don't know. We, we're in the twilight zone. Like like I said before, I've, we'll have to finish the show. Newcastle aren't the worst team in, well, I think we we might be one of the worst teams in the league, but we'll have some very good individual players. Um, There's a really tough when a, when a game's coming up. I, I, I don't think that even if Bruce keeps us up again this season, there isn't this kind of golden future out there. Even if the club continues to spend money and continues to give them uh, fantastic players, like this, this is it. This is, in my opinion, this is the best it's going to get. And I'm not going to change that opinion based on uh, a win at Southampton, or you know, beating West Brom in December, or getting a result at Leeds. We have been in the Premier League for four seasons now since relegation. We approach these games like a newly promoted club, but but worse. Um, we approach these games like a like a lower league team, and, and it's not good enough. It's not good enough for Newcastle United. It's bad for the league, um, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of. I'm saying repeating myself, and it reminds me of the relegation seasons. You know, we said it in those seasons, or we've only been podcasting for one of them. Um, if anyone was listening back then in 2015, 16, you, you would do the podcast every week, and you would just repeat mm. the same failings week after week after week. And whilst Newcastle aren't as bad against um, worse sides, uh, like you know, I'm not going to rewrite history or anything. Newcastle were decent against Burnley. I thought were decent against West Ham uh, and deserved, deserved the six points from those two games, fair play well done, we've also uh, con- you know, it's the first time in the Premier League era that we have lost two of our opening three home league games by three goals or more uh, these are the kind of records that are going to keep on coming and if, if Spurs or Manchester United had a scored six or seven goals against us, if Brighton had a scored six goals against us, no one would have could have complained. And that is not a healthy position to be. If you're pro Bruce, if you think he's going to do a great job, I wish I was you. I do. I wish I had your confidence. I wish I had that kind of comfort. I think that we'll either get relegated or, or be very close to getting relegated. But we have to finish the show. Thanks to you, lads, Norman and Ben. I hope it's been a been a listen I don't know if it's been enjoyable
3: Catholic. Uh, I yeah I was just about to say very cathartic
1: yeah thanks for listening to true faith podcast uh, we'll have another bonus show out this week about the 150th issue of the true faith fanzine uh, with a series of guests Uh, And we'll be back for you uh, after the Wolves game. So it'll be next Monday night. That podcast is out.
4: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness